0: That's one of those things I think that could perhaps be challenged within this is have have the DNO set a reasonable level of
1: curtailment and a reasonable end stop. Hello and welcome to the Connectology Podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Today, I'm joined by Pete Aston, one of Ray Knight Taylor's connectologists, and we are discussing the um, significant code review and specifically the tactics and strategies that are going to be used by sort of various. Um, sort of parties within connections in order to game this new system. Um, as I've said many times before, there will be many, many winners and many, many losers across different schemes, and, and winning and losing can be um, go sort of millions of pounds one way or the other. Um, so, Pete, I'm just going to start off by asking you and only you, because sadly we lost uh, Catherine, um, who was on this, um, due to um, issues with her internet. But uh, so I'm going to ask only you, um, uh, what, what's the biggest Um, risk that you see when you think of gaming and SCR?
0: So I think for me, Hugh, the biggest risk is um, around the point of connection voltage that you're going to be offered as a connection. So there is going to be a real advantage to DNOs in offering you a higher point of uh, connection voltage so that they don't have to trigger reinforcement um, because uh, under the SCR rules, uh, essentially customers pay a lot less uh, towards reinforcement than they do at the moment. Demand connections will pay nothing towards reinforcement. Generation connections will only pay for reinforcement at the voltage level they're connecting at um, and, and not higher voltage levels. So from a DNA point of view, who's only got a limited pot of money, um, they would be quite keen not to trigger reinforcement for, for customer connections. And so they would have an advantage in offering a higher point of connection voltage um, however, there there are rules that the DNOs will need to stick to um, around minimum scheme and so on. Um, but it, it's just a consideration that needs to be made. So, it, for, from the flipping it around from the point of view of developers, there will be some consideration around um, sizing that connection. So, um, if I push the the um, sort of capacity of this connection too high, that might mean that DNO has no choice but to offer me a high point a uh, higher voltage for the point of connection, if um, but, but but if I take the capacity lower uh, maybe the DNA will be sort of happy to offer me that um, sort of low voltage point of connection so I, I think that there's, there's going to be a little bit of gaming around that um, and whether that will result in Sort of smaller connections coming through because there's been a tendency recently to uh, over the last couple of years to see much larger connections coming through um, at distribution and then at transmission level. So I wonder whether at distribution this would this will lead to smaller um, uh, schemes that are hopefully going to connect at lower voltages um, and avoid reinforcement costs. So uh, it'd be interesting for you to see whether that's um, something that actually happens as a result of this.
1: Yeah, and and I, I guess it already happens that people put in applications at, at the wrong scale and end up with a, a higher voltage POC than they would have hoped for, and also with the uh, engineers within the DNOs who you know obviously are incredibly pushed for time. You know, sometimes simply getting it wrong and and providing a connection voltage that that could be could be bettered, um, but uh, clearly this this actually gives an incentive and you know not to say that that, that there'd be uh, any uh, anyone being particularly devious but it does actually um, perversely sort of incentivize incentivize that
0: there, there is another consequence um, that you might want to flip that around in as much as so 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 as a developer you could potentially you know get that lower point of connection voltage uh, and so the DNO then triggers. Potentially, you might have to trigger reinforcement at a higher voltage level. That could potentially work against you if the the reinforcement was going to take a long time to do. You know, if the reinforcement was going to take you know five or six years to complete, um, and you uh, and you would much prefer a connection sooner than that. Um, you know, all other things being equal, then you might actually be happier with a higher vo- higher point of connection voltage. So might be a bit more of an expensive connection, but actually might be able to get connected quicker, which might have advantages. So I, I think that depends on the sort of reinforcement that might be triggered. So so there might be a trade-off between a, a lower connection charge for a lower point of connection voltage, but a faster connection if you connect at a higher voltage. So it's it's just one of those things. It's going to be a bit of a site-specific um, question around that, um, but it's definitely worth thinking about. And I
1: guess that, that brings us on to the, the interim arrangements, because you could have a tidal wave of connection applications um, on the 1st of April um, that's going to lead ultimately to a tidal wave of reinforcement works and if we see happening at distribution what we've seen at transmission that could delay um, connection timeframes or at least kind of reinforcement timeframes um, just by sheer uh, dint of the volume of reinforcement works that need to be carried out so um, do you want to just explain that the interim arrangements around flexible connections yeah. So um, we talked we talk through this on quite a few of the
0: webinars. Um, so the the interim arrangements are going to be that DNOs are going to have to offer flexible arrangements. So by a flexible um, connection arrangement, we're talking about something like active network management, where your power output's ramped up and down um, uh, to sort of match the capacity available on the network, or it could be, a timed connection, or it could be you know a variety or, of other, or indeed demand, that...
1: because because they'll be they'll be offering flexibility yeah, yeah. for for demand connections as well.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, this 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 would be for demand uh, as well as generation. Um, not every type of demand would be suitable. You wouldn't really be able to do flexible arrangement for a housing estate, probably. But you know, big chunky single sort of premises demand connections could probably enter into some sort of flexible arrangement. So the the idea is that. Um, uh, I think there's probably two types of flexible arrangement uh, in the sense of one could be an enduring solution. So if there is some reinforcement under the new rules that you would have to pay for and you want to permanently not have to pay for that reinforcement, then you could have an enduring uh, flexible arrangement. So an A&M connection, for example, for, for the entirety of the lifetime of your project. Um, or there might be situations where you're not going to pay towards a reinforcement scheme, but the DNO can't deliver that reinforcement scheme very quickly. And so the uh, you're gonna be able to be offered an interim uh, connection, uh, interim flexible solution to allow you to connect um, prior to that reinforcement happening. Um, and within that, the DNA is gonna to have to give you a cap on the, the, the upper level of curtailment that you could experience and and an end point where that interim curtailment will finish. And just to be
1: clear, that, that curtailment that is uncompensated. I think that's that's the key here, isn't it?
0: Yes, correct. So so that that curtailment is exactly the same as curtailment is now under AM. That interim curtailment is not compensated unless you go over the cap that the DNO gives you in terms of that upper level of curtailment. So if if the DNO says, right, your your interim curtailment is definitely gonna be no more than twenty percent curtailment. And you have 30% curtailment in a year, they would compensate you for that. Um, uh, and equally, at the end of the let's say five-year period that they've assigned for this interim curtailment, um, if if you still have to be curtailed after that five years, they would also pay you, or they would contract some flexibility service somewhere else on the network to let you, you know, get your full output. So, um, so, so that's quite good.
1: Um, however, and yeah, just, so just however, onto the onto the kind of gaming point, and that's. <laughs> Who sets the cap and who determines when the reinforcement will be completed as well? So uh, the the uh, the reinforcement completion timescale is
0: all in the DNO's hands. Uh, the end point for when that uh, interim curtailment is going to finish uh, is also with the DNO. Uh, so we haven't quite yet seen the mechanism by which the DNOs are going to set um, the the absolute level of curtailment and the end point for the curtailment. But and is that is that a, an ENA those...
1: process that they're going through or is off-gem involved going through Yeah, they,
0: they are going, th- yeah, they're going through that process so I, I'm I'm pretty sure it should be concluding fairly soon. Um, that the the, the DNO is through the ENA trying to get some sort of um, consistent way of both setting the AM level um level and setting the end point where, where the curtailment finishes. Um, so there should be a relatively consistent way of doing it. It doesn't mean it's going to be Know exactly the same, so it's not always going to be 20% in five years, but um, it will be site specific, project specific. Um, but there will be a methodology for doing it. Um, so in terms of the level of curtailment, it could be very, very high. I think that's one thing just to note is that you're not necessarily going to get an interim level of curtailment that you're happy with and that you can accommodate. So we're already seeing levels of curtailment, um, in, in many parts of the country where where it's just ridiculously high like I, I think we were talking about one yesterday where um Philip Bale said he'd seen one where it was like 95% yeah that 90,
1: 99 I think he said 99 yeah. was yeah.
0: It. so clear, clear, clearly 20 percent's bad 99% is just you know ridiculous so um, you're not necessarily going to get a level of curtailment that you are happy with so in those circumstances whilst you have been offered an interim curtailment solution it might not be something you can accept, so you might still need to just sit there and wait for the reinforcement to happen. Um, And will DNOs give a ridiculously long end point, end stop for this interim curtailment? So, you know, if they go, oh, we think we can deliver this within five years, so we're going to say 10, you know, just just to give ourselves a buffer. I don't know if that's going to happen. Not quite sure exactly how they're going to set that, but that is a risk. And that's one of those things, I think, Hugh, that could perhaps be challenged within this is, you know, have have the DNO set a reasonable level of curtailment and a reasonable end stop.
1: Great. Uh, there is cost associated with implementing A and M schemes. Now, uh, you know, I know that certainly WPD socialises that cost to an extent, or, or at least it's cost apportioned. But even so, there is a cost associated with it. And how's that going to work if you are offered um, an interim flexible arrangement? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one.
0: I think. We we think the like the 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 sort of decision point on this is probably around time scale of reinforcement works. So, in some DNOs, you could potentially get you know a bill for a few hundred thousand to implement right. an A and M scheme. So it, it can be quite significant. It sort of depends on how the the DNOs are implementing A and M and which providers they're and, using. And would that
1: be assuming that that it is or isn't cost apportioned? Are there are there some DNOs who aren't cost apportioning, and therefore actually you could have a, a you know really significant cost. I'd be surprised if it was any more than a few hundred thousand to to implement the A&M
0: scheme. So it's it's sort of slightly difficult to know exactly what they're doing and and therefore what cost apportionment should or shouldn't be applied to to those A&M systems. But yeah, I'd be surprised if it was any more than a few hundred thousand. However, I think the point that we were talking about yesterday was if your reinforcement's only going to take a year or two years to to implement, is it uh, and after which time you wouldn't need to be on A&M, is there any point paying that Few hundred thousand towards getting an interim A and M solution, when actually you could have just waited a year or eighteen months or something and then just connect completely un- and So, again, that comes back to what is that reinforcement solutions being offered specifically for your site uh, and time scales to, to get that implemented. So, I mean, th- there will be some reinforcement schemes that are just going to take a really long time period to deliver, um, in which case you really do want to talk about an interim solution.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously most of what we deal with is, you know, sort of minimum of um, typically te- tens, um, if not hundreds of megawatts. And and just thinking about that, the potential for taking on that cost of the A&M scheme, if you are a smaller behind the meter project, if you've got a, a demand site, like a factory or whatever it might be, you know, it's it's very expensive and complex to implement A and M behind the meter in any event, and if you're actually having to to pay for the implementation of the whole scheme, that is going to be a that's going to be a serious um, serious issue for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, if if you've only got a few megawatts of export from a factory or something, you know, that's that is quite a lot of costs. You know, that few hundred thousand for to, to the A and M scheme is going to be a massive percentage of the the cost of your connection works. Whereas if you're building a, like you say, a you know, 150 megawatt battery or something connected at 132 kV, a few hundred thousand, yeah, you might not even think very much, think twice about it. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very much site specific, depending on the scale of your connection. And sometimes with these A and M systems, it's just the cost is what the cost is per site. You know, it's not size capacity related. It might just be to to connect you to the A and M system, we need this kit, and it's going to cost this much. And it doesn't matter whether you're
1: 1 megawatt or 100 megawatts, it's going to be the same, same sure. price. Um, and for, for demand, if we look at the different kind of types of demand for um, EV charging operators, um, they can uh, typically tolerate a certain amount uh, of flexibility. So the fact that DNOs are going to be forced to offer that flexible arrangement is, is, is a good thing. Obviously, they might have to bear that cost, which if you're putting in a small number of charges might, might be uh, an issue, so that could be a blocker. But actually, just yeah. thinking about if you are in that sort of top fifth percentile um, where you are likely to go over that high cost cap, first of all, I mean, flexibility is not going to work for you. If you're a data centre, flexibility just, just isn't an option in any event.
0: In terms of just thinking around the flexi- the cost of the flexible connection, the A&M, for a better word, active network management, then, yeah, there, there'll be certain types of demand where, you, you, like you say, you, you, just, you just can't. You just can't be flexible. And that in fact, you're, you're the opposite of flexible. You might be entirely inflexible. <laughs> and, and you might want a really high level of security, both in terms of the number of circuits into your site and in terms of the access to the network. So like you say, data centers are a prime example of wanting very high levels of security. So I can't imagine any data center going anywhere near a flexible connection. Sure. Because you know they're going to want two circuits into the site. Um, they're going to want the full import capacity available 24-7. So they're, they're not going to want to ramp up and down. But like you say, EV chargers, well, okay, if, if they've got a slightly lower capacity, they just either charge the cars a bit slower or they have less chargers available. That's just not a problem for them. I mean, it might annoy some <laughs> punters who, who want some power. But yeah, it's it, I think in the long run, it's not such an issue for EV charging. Sure. Or take hydrogen electrolysis that is also quite flexible sort of demand, um, a large scale demand being uh, talked about quite a lot. You know, if, if you have to reduce your demand, well, you just reduce the amount of hydrogen you're producing. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's quite flexible in that sense um, to, to interruptions in supply and availability of capacity. Sure. I guess it's,
1: it's just do, doing the math, getting comfortable on, on the level of tailwind. Yeah, sure. That, that feels to me like a really good um, point for us to take a very quick break. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. Welcome back. And um, Pete, let's just uh, pick up with post-acceptance. Is that going to get easier or harder, the work that needs to be done now?
0: So I think that there's there's only going to be so much you can do at the the application stage. So uh, applications are going to have to be a bit more intelligent in the sense of, I think, you're going to really need to know upfront what you want to apply for, because there are lots of you know variations and nuances around this. So you know, you're going to have to be prepared to argue your case when you're putting in an application with the DNO. Uh, but there's also going to be certain things that you just know a DNO just can't achieve within a 90-day offer issue period. And some of those things are going to have to be discussed post-acceptance. So I think getting that balance right between what you what you apply for <laughs> and what you then might want to put in the post-acceptance discussion phase is going to be important. So one of the things that you might want to, to, to go into the post-acceptance discussion phase is around that split between reinforcement and flexible connections. So just as an example, let's say you're a generator connecting at 33 kV. You might trigger reinforcement at 33 kV and you're going to have to pay for it because that's, that's under the new rules, you do pay for reinforcement at your connection voltage. Um, and you might trigger reinforcement at 132 kV that you're not going to pay for. But uh, either way, you'd have to wait for both of those sets of reinforcement to be complete before you can connect. So, you know, what what, what is the offer issued on the basis of? Is the offer issued to you on the basis of, you know, an interim arrangement? Uh, so you get A&M, for example, for both in relation to the 33 and 132 as an interim arrangement uh, and then you get taken off a and once the reinforcement's done or do you accept an offer on the basis of just reinforcement being done you waiting for it and then connecting afterwards uh, or could could there be a halfway house could you say well I, I know that the 33 kV reinforcement isn't going to take very long I'm just going to wait for that to be done there's there's no point but, you know maybe you're curtailed massively because of that 33 reinforcement it makes no sense to to wait on an interim flexible arrangement i'm just going to wait for them to reconduct to this 33 line pay for it and then i'll connect whilst they're still doing the 132 reinforcement and i'll i'll then go on a flexible arrangement for the 132 reinforcement so there could be that sort of mix and match approach and uh, that could be quite protracted discussions with the dno and
1: you know I, I really don't think that could happen within the offer issue period so it's, it's almost certainly got to be post-acceptance um, whichever way you look at it the the teams and I think specifically about the system planners really but the teams who are putting together the connection offers are going to be absolutely drowning it, even if they are um, allowed extensions that their, their workload is is going to be horrific and most of them are out there just trying to do the best job that they possibly can as we know sometimes because of the pressure they're under they already have to be a somewhat Perfunctory, I guess. I mean, you worked within uh, connections. So Pete was head of system planning at WPD across uh, at WPD as was um, across all their license areas and responsible for some 500 extra high voltage connection offers going out at generation and demand. So you must have seen the pressure that the system planners are under. Um, you know, how, how do you think this might play out when they they have this tidal wave, and how might that impact on the likelihood that you do get the right offer at the right connection voltage with or with the right flexible arrangement yeah it's it's it's
0: really tricky as a dno um you know it was almost a daily conversation around work pressure delivering offers uh, and so on so so it's, it's a massive issue and i suspect it's a massive issue in every dno that that tension that they all have between resourcing levels and the amount of work they've got to do um because let's not forget the, the dno sort of technical teams um are not just doing connections, they're also trying to deliver um, business plan reinforcement schemes as well. Um, uh, they're also trying to assist projects teams with asset replacement works, they're also trying to help with diversionary works and specking, uh, you know, cable sizes for that. So th- there's a whole heap of things that they're trying to do that aren't just connections as well as then trying to deliver all the connections work. So so DNOs have a really difficult job and are doing, like you say, the, the best they can to, to do it. I think this uh, SCR delivery from 1st of April is just going to be very challenging for them. Um, I think it all depends on levels of applications. This bow wave, is, is there going to be one or isn't there going to be one? So you know, we, amongst the developers we work with, we're still seeing a sort of continued level of activity um, an interest in making applications and so on so um, not everything is slowing down now so uh, uh, developers just storing up loads of stuff for first of april Um i'm not convinced yet that they are there might be but uh, i think we just got to wait and see but even if there wasn't a bow wave in, in new applications although i suspect there will be some uh just just the new rules alone are going to be you know challenging for the dnos to manage um because they're quite complicated like, like we've been talking about quite quite a lot so um yeah massive challenge for the dnos uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the dnos you know, planners are just going to be pleased to have got an offer out to you let alone got an offer out. so, so if there's have, a if there you know, is covered all um, the if
1: there is a you know if you're under massive massive pressure and there is an easy computer says no answer that you can you can bang out because you've got to do another five in that day yeah
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And um,
0: I think it's just going to need, I think it's going to need dialogue, you know, rather than trying to view it as a confrontational experience, view it as a collaboration, Um, you know, knowing that the DNAs are under pressure um, and therefore maybe haven't had a chance to look into it maybe as deeply as you have um, in in some instances, you know, or, or certain aspects of it. Um, you know, work work with them rather than against them, and and in, in that way that yeah, come up and, with and good on that score, it's,
1: it's kind of certainly from our perspective, it is kind of more of the same. Working with them more, doing the work for them more, in order that um they don't have to rely on their computer to spit out a, a no, actually giving them the answer in order that they can give you give you what they want. They're going to thank you for it, and 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 working with them. Um, and you know, feeling a certain amount of compassion for the position that, that they're going mm. going to be in. So I, I guess you know this is very much a work in progress. We know that SCR isn't perfect, and we aren't going to see any SCR offers coming out until probably June, and then we're going to see an awful lot of tweaking and, and bedding in, and, and everyone's going to have to work together on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, certainly at EHV level, um, where there is like sixty-five working day. Turnaround time um, offers the uh, applications that are made at beginning of April won't come out sort of till end of June, uh, beginning of July. I guess I guess lower low voltage level offers at LV and uh, HV will come out earlier than that. Um, but but yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's really going to take till the end of this year for this to properly bed in, both from the DNA point of view and from the developer point of view. So um, you know. DNO is trying to work out what they're going to do when developers ask for things that they haven't thought about yet, which is almost inev- inevitably going to be the case, because uh, you know no sooner in the DNO world have you developed a policy framework that nicely fits certain rules that you get some developer going. Yeah, but we want to do this, and then you go, well, okay, I can see, you. I can see why you're asking to do that, and I've got no particular reason why we can't do that, but my rules doesn't say that you can, so so you know you go through this process of then developing your rules on the back of these sort of what what developers are asking for. So it's um yeah, it's it's going to take at least till the end of this year, I think, for for it to properly bed in um that's quite fun because we've got the opportunity then to help it bed in in a, a good absolutely, way absolutely yeah
1: no i think mean, it's it's really positive and, and hopefully that the whole connection community will you know see this as an opportunity to you know to work with the network operators we've already got um uh, them reaching out to us to ask us for our opinion on different um sort of approaches that they're looking at at, at taking um and you know hopefully there'll be a lot more of that Throughout that initial 65 working days, it might be extended, obviously, um, and then beyond, you know, lots of opportunity to um, to engage. So great. Um, Pete, thank you so much for that. Um, sorry, it was it was just you um, and and no Catherine. And I know that I was a very poor substitute, um, but uh, thank you very much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in very much. Hope this has been um, useful and um, see you on the other side. Bye. Bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Road Knight-Taylor connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadknighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.